listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hi, this is Stephen McLeod, Special Situations Analyst here at BMO Capital Markets, and I'm joined by my associate, Nevin Yoakum. We're here to discuss e-commerce and how the recent acceleration of e-commerce trends impacts our coverage universe. We cover a broad and diverse set of stocks across three main sectors, retail consumer, Canadian packaging, and real estate services. All of these sectors are impacted by overarching macroeconomic conditions, but when we sat down and thought about which themes permeate most broadly throughout our coverage, it's probably e-commerce. We're seeing shifting consumer buying patterns, which impacts retailers globally, as well as consumer product manufacturers. The knock-on effect from this extends to packaging, both in-store and shipping. And finally, this also impacts real estate when we think about asset classes that are attracting incremental investment, such as warehousing and distribution. But for this podcast, we're going to focus on e-commerce as it relates to retailers and consumer product manufacturers. So Nevin, can you set the stage for us and give a bit of background? How should investors be thinking about the size of e-commerce as it relates to total retail sales? Yeah, definitely, Steve. I mean, I think a, a broad overview would be a great place to start. So in terms of recent trends, pointing out the obvious, we've seen an acceleration in e-commerce growth as a result of the pandemic. To give you a bit of context with some numbers here, 2020 global retail sales are forecasted to be down about 6%. And on the other hand, global e-com sales are forecasted to grow 16.5% to just over 16% of total retail sales on a global basis. Similarly, in the U.S., 2020 retail spending is forecasted to be down 10.5%. Despite this dip in retail spending, 2020 e-com growth, on the other hand, is forecasted to increase 18%, which equates to 14.5% of total retail sales in the U.S. market. This is a huge increase from an e-com market that made up just under 10% only two years ago. At the same time, 2020 brick-and-mortar spending in the U.S. is forecasted to decrease by 17%. We're seeing very similar trends occurring in Canada as well. Forecasts are for 2020 retail spending to be down 6.2%, while 2020 e-commerce growth is expected to be up 20%. This equates to approximately 85 to 9% share of the total retail spending market at $600 billion. With that, Steve, maybe you could provide some detail on the drivers of e-commerce growth aside from COVID-19. Yeah, thanks, Nevin. Uh, the shift towards e-commerce has been happening over many years, even ahead of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's really just that government shutdowns and people working from home accelerated the shift to consumers buying online. I read recently that some studies have estimated that the pandemic accelerated the shift away from physical stores to digital shopping by anywhere from about four to six years. So, you know, it's important to note that this was already happening. Consumers, not all but many, were already drawn to the convenience of shopping online with pricing transparency and the ability to comparison shop or browse. And in anticipation or response to this, retailers, again, not all but many, were responding by investing in their online e-commerce capabilities. One recent report I read suggested that global retail technology spend increased about 3.5% from 2018 to 2019 to just under $204 billion ahead of the COVID-19 pandemic. So this growth is likely to accelerate even further from here. So with this backdrop, Nevin, what trends have we seen in our retail consumer coverage universe with respect to the pandemic and e-commerce growth? 
Yeah, Steve. I mean, generally in our retail coverage, we saw stores close mid-March, and then they began a phased reopening in early to mid-May, which was dependent on government restrictions in their local areas. Today, we're seeing that nearly all stores across our coverage universe are open. So because of this, Q2 was a, a very unusual quarter. We had stores closing and opening at different times. We had one-time non-recurring costs. We had periods of time where 100% of a company's revenues could be made up from e-com. And so as a result, in our opinion, Q2 will very much be an isolated incident. And we expect that Q3 results would start to reflect more normalized levels of the mix between brick and mortar versus e-com sales. But before we get there, let me just step back so we can revisit Q2. As I mentioned, Q2 bore the brunt of the store closures and overall sales within our retail coverage declined anywhere from 25 to 45%. While these are massive declines, they're also incorporating robust e-commerce growth. I'm gonna give you a few examples here. So Aritzia's e-com was up 50 to 100% in the quarter. Roots e-com sales were nearly double the prior year. Sleep Country posted triple digit e-com growth. And then lastly, at the top of the pack was Leon's, who posted a Goliath 500% increase in e-com sales. Today, as I mentioned, all retail locations are open, but social distancing measures are continuing to impact store traffic. If we look at Aritzia as an example, their boutique sales are running at 55 to 65% productivity versus prior year levels. We believe that this suggests e-commerce sales will continue to make up a larger portion of the retail landscape for the foreseeable future. Let me shift gears to our consumer product group, which includes Dorel as well as Gildan. Dorel had a solid Q2 driven by higher bike sales as well as home sales, which posted double-digit e-com growth to 68% of overall segment sales, and that's up from about 60% prior year. At Gildan, demand has been materially impacted by social distancing measures. Q2 sales were down about 70%. However, we're also seeing at Gildan consumers shift to online purchases, where e-commerce sales were up double digits. With that overview of recent developments in the sector, I'd like to turn it back to you, Steve. Do you expect this shift to e-commerce to continue? And what does the future look like? Yeah, I think that's a good place to go next. And I think people have to ask themselves a few questions. Firstly, uh, how have shopping patterns changed? Convenience certainly is and has been a driving factor. A customer can browse online from home or on their mobile phone, have products shipped within days, sometimes for free, and retailers really are motivated to make returns as seamless as possible. The other thing is customers are more knowledgeable. With ubiquitous online content, there's much more transparency about product characteristics, features, alternative options, but most importantly, pricing. So customers are definitely pickier. This creates challenges as well as opportunities for retailers, as ultimately they want to drive consumer loyalty. Retailers hope to have a holistic view of the customer, both in-store and online, and this really is supportive of the omni-channel investments that retailers are making. The second question that I think people have to ask themselves, uh, which I'll pose to you, is how will COVID-19 impact in-store versus online shopping trends? Well, Steve, I'd say that even pre-COVID, according to one report that I read on the apparel segment, is that approximately 72% of shoppers said they shopped primarily in-store while that same group post-COVID only expected that they would do 55% of their shopping primarily in stores. We also believe that shopping habits will consist of more targeted one-stop shops, which would mean less browsing and more get-in, get-out type of shopping. 
while we think this could fade over time, we would expect that these habits are going to linger, particularly for those people who are living through this pandemic. In this context, some people might ask, as shoppers move increasingly online, are brick and mortar stores inherently bad? Well, it's a good question to ask, but I would say no. Uh, in my view, stores build brand awareness and engagement, but retailers really need to find ways to keep stores and brands relevant in a post-pandemic world. Oftentimes, when people think of technology and retail, they often think just online and e-commerce. But the reality is in-store technology spend has also been on the rise, up about 60% between 2018 and 2019. And this includes investments by both landlords and retailers in analytics to garner insights into in-store consumer behaviors. We've also seen retailers getting creative with stores. Even pre-pandemic, we saw brands experimenting with pop-ups as well as prototype stores. We've seen both Aritzia and Roots open pop-up shops. Sleep Country began experimenting with mall-based stores a few years ago, having opened its first one in 2015. The company liked what it saw, and now they have 11 mall-based stores. And Leon's introduced in late 2019 its new, smaller footprint, tech-heavy prototype store, something that might be replicated for future stores. Finally, when I think about store networks, I think it's really important to note that the retailers we cover aren't overstored in Canada or the U.S., so currently they're not facing the prospect or need to shrink their store network footprint yet, but I guess it remains to be seen. Yeah, Steve, so, so it seems clear that e-commerce is here to stay, and retailers and consumer product manufacturers will need to continue to invest and evolve. In light of this, who do you think will be the retail winners? So I think there are a few characteristics that winning retailers will need to have, and certainly this list is not exhaustive. So a few things. First, I think retailers need to have a strong digital presence. Second, solid liquidity. And third, already strong brand recognition with consumers. Okay. And first off, what do you mean by strong digital presence? We think that ultimately retailers have to use digital tools to survive and thrive. Most importantly, in our view, and something that we have seen successful retailers leveraging, is having a really strong omni-channel presence, so allowing for purchases to be consummated in-store, online, or a portion of both, so allowing for buy online, pick up in-store. When looking to online, some attractive online properties that we've seen are now leveraging things like augmented reality and virtual reality, allowing customers to try on apparel or see how a piece of furniture looks in the room all online. We also see having endless aisle product options as important, as well as other value-add services like online concierge and chat functionality. So when we take this digital tools filter and apply it across our coverage universe, we find that all of the retail and consumer companies we cover have invested in Omnichannel, but Endless Isle is something we do expect to see more of. Brian Hill, who's the CEO of Aritzia, spent a lot of time talking about this on the last earnings call. He really highlighted the opportunity to offer more depth and breadth across product lines, as well as new categories that aren't offered in-store. Sleep Country also talked about this, particularly as it relates to its accessories, offering more breadth in colors, styles, and products. And then finally, with respect to other online value-add services, Sleep Country and Leon's got very creative when its stores were closed during the pandemic by repurposing in-store sales associates to be available as live chat agents online, helping customers find the product they were looking for. And these were key drivers of online sales for each of those companies. So having covered off the first winning characteristic, Nevin, can you talk a little bit about liquidity? Yeah, the second characteristic that we think winning retailers are going to need is ample liquidity. And by that, I mean strong cash position, inventory management, and a solid balance sheet. 
Liquidity allows companies to continue to invest in their online infrastructure, as well as store network upgrades. Broadly, in our coverage, each of our retailers is well capitalized, but there is some variation across the spectrum. Steve, can you talk about the third characteristic, brand recognition? Thanks, Nevin. Finally, the third thing we think winning retailers will need is already strong brand recognition among consumers. I'd say that brands like Sleep Country, Leon's, Aritzia, and Roots are household names with high levels of consumer recognition. We think this makes them well-positioned to leverage their digital investments and omni-channel positioning to make market share gains. A strong social media presence also helps to keep brands engaged with customers, particularly for apparel. May surprise you to know I'm not a big Instagrammer, but I do follow Aritzia and Roots, and I've seen Aritzia have some very effective campaigns leveraging influencer endorsements to elevate the brand. So in summary, in addition to having these three characteristics, most importantly, retailers who had been proactively investing in e-commerce and omnichannel were very well positioned to continue to serve their customers during store closures in the early days of the pandemic, and in our view, are still well positioned as we move forward. When we look at e-commerce as a percent of sales in our retail coverage universe, we do note that it's higher for apparel than it is for hard goods, which would make sense because an apparel buyer is more likely to buy online than someone buying a mattress or a dining room table. But when we look at apparel, Aritzia really has been an omni-channel leader, with e-commerce approaching about 25% of total sales at the end of fiscal 2020. Roots identified e-commerce as a growth priority at the time of its 2017 IPO. Despite its own top-line challenges, Roots ended the last fiscal year with e-commerce representing just over 20% of direct-to-consumer sales. When we look on the furniture and mattress side, Leon's began investing in e-commerce in a more meaningful way in 2018, and we estimate that e-commerce represented about 5% of full-year sales at the end of last year. And then with Sleep Country, at the time of the IPO in 2015, the company actually didn't have much in the way of e-commerce. It's made investments over the years, including the launch of its own bed-in-a-box line, Bloom, and this eventually led to the late 2018 acquisition of Canada's leading online mattress retailer, Endy. And just before the pandemic hit, late 2019, Sleep Country took steps to have its full in-store mattress offering put online in addition to accessories. So literally just in the nick of time. And e-commerce at Sleep Country, we estimate, is about 7 to 10% of normalized sales. So now that we've talked about retailers and consumers tilting towards e-commerce, Nevin, what are some of the challenges and risks retailers of all sizes need to be aware of? Yeah, that's right, Steve. I mean, there's there's many risks facing companies as they transition a larger portion of their business to online sales. And rather than provide an exhaustive list here, I'm just going to scratch the surface. First and most obvious would be a second wave of COVID-19. If more strict social distancing measures are reinstated, and if economies are forced to shut down again, this could be disastrous for the more vulnerable sectors, such as retail, food service, gyms, movie theaters, amongst others. The second risk is logistics. As companies build out an integrated network to store and transport goods, there's near-term execution risk. We've observed that commercial distribution centers are in high demand. It's difficult to acquire expanded space. And as well, shipping routes have become congested while companies work to expand their networks. A third risk is primarily related to small business challenges. Small businesses don't have the deep pockets or expertise to build out their e-commerce infrastructure. While there are companies like Shopify that are working to make e-commerce capabilities more accessible for these smaller retailers, we believe that ultimately, the larger, better capitalized firms will have a better opportunity 
with respect to building out powerful, data-driven e-commerce logistics and infrastructure networks. A last risk I'd like to mention here is competition. As nearly all businesses begin to build out their e-commerce capabilities, we see increased competitive pressures that could reduce sales for existing e-com companies. With that background in mind, in your opinion, how can an investor play winners in e-commerce, Steve? Thanks, Nevin. So in closing, I just want to highlight some of our stock picks that have e-commerce intertwined into our investment theses. So within our retail and consumer coverage, we have outperform ratings on Aritzia and Sleep Country Canada, both of which have, in our view, industry-leading omnichannel platforms. And while this podcast focused on retail, we also highlight two outperformative packaging stocks. The first is Intertape Polymer Group, where e-commerce products represent about 20% of sales, including water-activated tapes and protective packaging. So we see them benefiting from increased e-commerce growth over time. And second, CCL Industries, which owns an RFID business within its checkpoint segment. While small, it should benefit over time from ongoing omnichannel adoption. So thank you for listening, and please feel free to reach out if there are any themes or stocks you would like to dive deeper into. Stay safe and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.